Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth goal for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with when things are going wrong against you you don't get the breaks of the ball Cooper in with Stewart he didn't really know where the ball was but he got the break and as you say it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time knowing that really all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net Hello and welcome to the latest Here We Go podcast, as we're about to kick off the weirdest season any of us will ever experience. Um, and obviously you need the weirdest podcast to steer you through the weirdest season and uh, joining me tonight. First of all, my usual travelling companion, it's Martin Clunas. Martin, how are you? I'm doing good, Richard. Um can't wait to get some, some real football action underway. Last few weeks it seemed... I haven't felt any tinge of excitement, but this week finally it's kind of kicked in that the proper semi-proper stuff, I suppose, given the conditions we'll be playing under, kicks off on Saturday. It just it seems to have loomed up pretty quickly. Martin and I won't be in the ground on Saturday, but one man who might well be in the ground is uh, freelance journalist Ben Palmer. Ben, how are you? Hi, Richard. How are you doing? Good to have you back on, Ben. How have you uh, passed the last five months without any football? <laughs> um... When, I, when it first started, we thought it would be a struggle with no action, but fortunately the SPFL, uh, Dundee, Hearts and Inverness provided more than enough content for newspapers over, over the last four months. As you were saying off air, you're glad to be getting back to talking about kicking the ball around rather than missed ballots and emails going astray, though. Oh, the trivial matters of a 4-4-2 is far better than whether a club voted or not for reconstruction. And uh, joining us again tonight, uh, we're delighted to have John Sinclair back on. John, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. How are you all? Glad to be back on. Uh, we're front-loading John's appearances this season. He's got uh, child number one imminent, so we thought it best, rather than having a guest appearance by a screaming child in the background, to, to try yes. and try and book you on again quite early on this season. Any screaming from the background tonight is, is not coming from me. <laughs> be nice and quiet for once. Right, um, so that's one birth, the birth of a new season, there's a tenuous link for you, uh, is on <laughs> Saturday um, and we will be the very first game of that new campaign. Now the build-up, Ben, difficult to read or as ever too much into friendly matches. My concern for the Dons though is have we played enough of them? Um, certainly compared to our opposition on Saturday, I, I wonder if we were a bit undercooked. Ah, it's strange because, I mean, we, we have absolutely no idea how Aberdeen will look on Saturday against Rangers. I mean, you ha- typically you would have your pre-season games, which give you some sort of vague idea of how they're going to look on the Saturday. But because we've had no access this year, we're, we're going into the blind. I mean, like you said, with the undercooked, I had a look back at last season. And the pre-season friendlies were an, a goalless draw with Connors Key out in Cork. A uh, 2-0 win over Peterhead And a 1-1 draw with Inverness Now, if you're going to make any statement after those three games You'd say Aberdeen were going to be in the bottom half Dreadful season But I mean, 
like you kind of said, pre-season games really have no bearing on the competitive action. I mean, one one thing we would concern is that after those three pre-season games, it did take Aberdeen a little bit of time to get going against Robin Yemi, then Chikura, before starting the league season against Hearts, whereas this year, it's straight out of these three games, and well, well into one of the biggest matches of the Aberdeen season, I suppose, so... They've had longer to train this year than they usually would have, so, so you'd like to think that would have its benefits as well. I suppose if you were to compare it, John, to past years, the number of actual games before the first competitive game is probably similar, but as Ben points out, it's a slightly gentler curve playing Rops of Finland than it is the game that will be on Saturday. Yeah, but then the other side of the same coin is that the friendlies we've played this season have been of a higher standard of opposition than we normally would play. Um, you know, we didn't have our, our traditional friendly away at Borough Briggs or, you know, another uh, Brechin or Peterhead to, to fill up the numbers. We've played teams that are going to be direct competition for us for the rest of the season. And while the results haven't been impressive, that was probably an intentional, you know, ploy to, to get us up to speed against similar calibres of players. I don't imagine there was much choice of opposition out there, but um, we've certainly played teams that we're, we're going to consider to be much greater competition than your Connors keys that we, we struggled against last season. Um, what I find interesting is how little information was made available to us about these friendlies. Uh, I can tell you that Bruce Anderson scored a lot of goals. I can tell you that Craig Bryson scored. Uh, but that's about the extent of my knowledge of these three games that we've played. Um, in terms of match reports, the information out there was pretty light. I haven't seen a single second of filmed highlight of any of the games. So I wonder if there's been a deliberate decision to, to keep the, the games under wraps beyond just the score lines, which is the only information we were really fed. If I can just chip in here, I, th- I think that was made more as a blanket statement across all Scottish clubs. All right. All right. Um, just, just not to sort of treat these as proper matches, but almost as bounce games, um, kind of hence the lack of information, I suppose. Ah, that's good to know. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, I mean, it is always dumb to read too much, well, to read anything into pre-season games. Martin, for me, the most notable aspect isn't panicking over the results, uh, which I dare say some people out there will have indulged in over the past few weeks. But uh, it's that Tommy Hoban has been training with us and played some part in the game on Saturday. Uh, You'd think that in normal circumstances, if there was any given the budget, um, a deal would probably have been done already with Michael Devlin out for, well, at least four weeks. But I think the word is maybe it might be be a longer term injury. We might come on to this later, but you never know. I mean, this 9,000 season target season ticket thing might be the target we need to be able to sign Tommy Hoban. You never know. He, He obviously played some part on Saturday. I think it was against Hibs. Um, he's been he's been training with us and he's you know he's been spotted here and there. Hopefully there is some given the budget. I mean we know he's talented. We just we also know he's he's probably the most unlucky footballer we've ever seen in a red shirt. Um, in terms of injuries, you never know. It might be one of these things. I mean we've heard before people suggesting perhaps pay as you play or that sort of things. I mean you know we're not going to be we're not going to be privy to the ins and outs of the contracts. And to be honest, I kind of don't want to be anyway. If if he's available and if some sort of deal could be done, then he'd be very welcomed. Oh man, the pay-as-you-play thing. You can guarantee any time that the club are in for someone who's got a slightly checkered injury problem, someone someone on the forum suggests a pay-as-you-play deal. They don't exist, man. They just don't exist. I mean, why? if you're Tommy Hoban, John, you're not going to sign up for something like that anyway, it, even if such a thing really 
existed under the PFA structure in, in Scotland, you as a player are going to want a degree of security, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure Toby Holman, Toby Holman backs his own ability to the hilt and he's under no question himself whether he's capable of playing football for Aberdeen, but he just simply can't rely on his fitness and neither can we. So a contract like that isn't in, in his interest whatsoever. Um, I, I would be slightly more interested perhaps to see what kind of deal can be agreed with him. I think that we obviously like him a lot. I think Derek McInnes and, and the rest of the coaching staff must be very fond of him. We've taken quite a lot of interest in him after his, his short stay up here before, but also importantly I think he must like us as well because he's hung about he's kept himself training in Aberdeen he obviously had enough of a enjoyable experience with us the first time round that he's got no qualms about about coming back from injury with us and potentially staying with us longer than that when when teams and players like each other in those ways you, you wonder if maybe better deals can be can be done um, so hopefully you know I didn't see enough of him the first time around to, to tell you whether he's a, a game changing uh, you know world leading centre back or anything along those lines but I saw enough to know that I'd be happy to have him back in the squad um, he's not a player that I would like to rely on necessarily because I just think unfortunately with all respect for the guy it's not possible to, to put too much hope into his career until he can get some games behind him but I'd like those games to be with us if at all possible. If you go with the lighter squad as we are this season Ben and well most of the league will be going with this season a guy like Tony Hoven that can play across the back four can also play in a defensive midfield role ticks a lot of boxes doesn't he for one wage Aye, uh, I'm just chuckling at the pays you play deal. I haven't heard about them since the Highland League days where they were rife because guys were in mid-30s and could barely run anymore. But <laughs> no, um, you're right. Ho- Hoban, when we saw him against Burnley, um, when he first had his initial kind of spell on the team, he was one of the best players in the park in those uh, Europa League games. And I mean, he's just been desperately, desperately unfortunate. Um, I think Aberdeen want to sign him, um, and I mean, we would have sort of given him this chance, and we certainly would have played him against Hibs at the weekend if we didn't. But, I mean, you, you can kind of understand why we're apprehensive about giving a deal to a player who's had two very serious injuries um, previously at the club. But, I mean, I, fu- I fully think Tommy Hoban would benefit most teams in Scotland, and never mind Aberdeen. The other um, imponderable is, of course, players going out, and... Um you know, we've been in a situation for, for quite some time where the key assets have been coveted. McKenna, obviously, interest uh, mostly uh, 18 months ago, 12 months ago. It seems to have died down a little bit as uh, maybe his performances have waned somewhat. Cosgrove again. If we're going to maximise a deal for Sam Cosgrove, Martin, a start to the season like he had last year wouldn't go amiss, would it? Uh, no, you would, you would need that. I mean, there is... I don't know how, I only just saw it about 10 minutes before we started. There is some sort of rumours going around that he was seen on crutches today. Um, but I don't know if that's just um, Twitter being Twitter and Facebook being Facebook, you know. You know how these things start. But if he is, if he does play, then, you know, we need, we need a, a strong start to the season from him. Um, I do think that one of the, one of the big assets is probably going to have to, to go, you know, books need to be balanced and all that kind of stuff. Once the kind of championship teams in England and perhaps even the League One start, League One teams start looking at, you know, their squads and who they can bring in, um, then I think that we're probably going to see um, a few people, a few moves for for Cosgrove. And um, I don't particularly want him to leave, but um, yeah, like you said, there, you, know, you, you have to maximise his value, and we need a strong start out of him anyway. Selling at the right time is a bit of an art, John, um, and it's, I think it's 
clear to see that Aberdeen have not mastered that art, given that our record transfer outgoing is still um, one that was a transfer that happened 25 years ago, Ian Jester Coventry. Obviously, we've lost a lot of talent for free over the past few years, guys that have gone on to do a good job at clubs who would for whom a couple of million quid would be would be nothing of an outlay for them. At least with the guys here now, the ones who are being talked about, your McKenna's, your Ferguson's, your Cosgroves, the club have done well on the contractual front at least. It's the next step. It's it's learning how to, to maximise that value in, in the transfer market. It's quite a tricky one. Yeah, there will have been, I would imagine, a little bit of disappointment in the boardroom at Aberdeen when Cosgrove turned down the deal to go to Greengomp. Um, that was a, a, about the amount of money I think we could realistically hope for for him. Um, but obviously that deal wasn't to be. On one hand, I think that we've got a history of being bad at selling players at the right time. But then on the other hand, I don't know that we've ever fielded huge bids for our players in the last 25 years. I mean, we got we got money where we can for the likes of Russell Anderson, but where were the, the massive bids that we were turning down at the time for, for the, the saleable assets like him? With regards to Cosgrove specifically, uh, yeah, a, a fast start to the season will be really important. It'll be really important to the club and it'll be really important to him personally as well. If he's got ambitions to play in England, which I know we all assume he does, then he'll know that the shop window is rarely likely to be as open as it is at the moment with no other competitive football to to get people's interests up um you know five or six goals in the first five or six games from Cosgrove puts him front and center in people's minds when they're looking at at, at stocking up on center forwards so hopefully he's able to carry that forward and and that's for him personally and for the club if we assume that he has to be sold to to balance the books yeah absolutely there's two points there ben um Firstly, the fact that, yes, the SPFL has got a pretty clear run for the next few weeks, which, you know, I think we're sceptical as to how that might play out in terms of uh, increased viewership, but it certainly will probably mean an increased number of scouts at a lot of the games. Secondly, the fact that the transfer window this year, it's operating completely differently as everything else is, and it's going to be open until, I think, it's, is it the first week in October or something? Yeah, I think so. I think it opens August 15, if I'm correct. I'm not 100% sure on that. I haven't checked that, to be honest. <laughs> if you're looking for no. facts, this is not the podcast for you. <laughs> uh, no, but you're right about Cosgrove. I mean, quite clearly, he, he is for sale if the right bid comes in. And this one of just over £2 million will clear, clearly match the valuation. Dave Cormack spoke to the papers last week, uh, which generated loads of copy for us. Um, one of the lines that was kind of missing amongst everything was that he doesn't expect um, to sell any players this summer. Uh, which, which I thought was a bit of a statement of intent, but because there was so many other things to be covered uh, from our press conference, it probably didn't get the publicity it deserved. But, I mean, with the championship starting up, um, whenever it is, you know how mental that league is and when we just throw away money's and money on players. And if a team starts the championship season poorly, they're not scoring, they're going to panic, they're going to look up to Scotland. And if Sam Cosgrove has started the season on fire, then... Two, three million quid to them is just, is probably going to be worth it. So, I mean, um, the, the bids for Cosgrove we, we won't end anytime soon, I wouldn't imagine. Well, talking more specifically about Saturday, our pre-season has been solely against other SPFL teams. Um, the opponents on Saturday, they went over to France, couple of good wins for them over there. They played Coventry at home at the weekend. 
They have a handful of new signings. It seems like they've strengthened the squad more than strengthened the starting eleven specifically. We did manage to secure Hadji on a permanent deal um, after his loan at the end of last season. Um, I think the main question mark for them, John, is uh, is whether um, uh, that lovable role up front will still be there on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, that's um, one of these transfer stories that is becoming more and more boring to try and follow as it goes on, and it's been going on for a very long time now. Um, if he if he doesn't start, though, so if Morelos doesn't start on Saturday, um, I don't think that gets us off a hook particularly. I think that Defoe is just as capable of showing us up. I mean, he scored a wonderful goal against us uh, last season, as I recall, and uh, the the reinforcements that he've, they've made have been. Um, Attacking ones Or at least that they've got some Real threat going forward as evidenced By their, their pre-season wins So whether Morelos does play Whether he's being sold Whether he's ever sold um, That's not necessarily the, the deciding factor Ahead of Saturday They have they have threats in their team As much as I don't like to admit it um, Whether or not we can get a good result On Saturday comes down to whether or not We are up to speed In terms of countering those Ben can probably answer this better than anybody else, but is Defoe fit? I thought he had hamstring problems. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think Defoe's fit. I mean, Saturday, oh, I um, from Rangers' perspective, is quite interesting. I think Morelos will almost certainly start, um, but I think what you'll see over the next couple of days is just people questioning what kind of frame of mind he's in. Um, he's, he's clearly wanting to move away from Rangers, um, given all the, the talk and the rumours and stuff, so it will probably be Morelos who, who starts up top, but whether it's the Morelos who, who scored a double at Petorgia or whether it's Morelos who gets sent off three or four times against Aberdeen, um, we're, we're not too sure. I mean, it's, it's just one of those interesting things that will, will happen on Saturday. Well, certainly, Martin, the McKenna-Morelos duels have been, has been fascinating. Um, there have been games where Morelos has come out on top. There have been a number of red cards, but there's been plenty of games where he's done little or nothing against us as well. Obviously, the, there was a major flashpoint uh, at a Pataudry game where both of them got sent off for it. Um, well, about 18 months ago now. But uh, it's going to be key on Saturday again, isn't it? That McKenna-Morelis battle, if indeed Morelis does play. The thing is, with any other with any other player other than Morelos, you would say, oh, it depends which one, it depends which player turns up. But he's such a lunatic that he could be insanely good for 20 minutes and then... The head goes and he's all over the place kicking people and, you know, stamping and all this kind of stuff and throwing elbows. I'm assuming for neutral fans, it's entertaining to watch him. Obviously, as an Aberdeen fan, when he's played against us, it's, you know, it raises the blood blood pressure. But if he does if he does play, then it's, it is the key, the key battle, really. I mean, he's the, uh, he's the main man for them. You know, he has hurt us before. And you rightly say, though, in other games, he's not really done anything. He's been a, he's been a hindrance to them. McKenna you know, needs to stick himself in the shop window a bit more. Um, a strong performance against Morelos, who is getting all this talk about you no know, big bids from Lille or whatever it was. You no, know, it's a it's a big it's a big job for McKenna on Saturday. Um, I saw a couple of some of the short highlights of some of the preseason games they played. Um, Haji did look tidy and decent, as we say. Preseason games are played so ah. Uh, no, two yards slower than a normal game would be, so it's very easy to look like you're stroking the ball about, um, you know, casually and having a great game. Um, I think the re- the real one is we concentrate on if we can shut Morelos down, and if, and if Morelos doesn't play, then no, we're brilliant for us, really. Yeah, I think Martin's right, uh, John. Maybe to say that that is the key battle, but there's other 
um, going to be uh, some other fascinating duels on on Saturday as well. I think we should probably expect that Johnny Hayes won't be left back against Rangers. I think it'll be Andy Considine left back, uh, McKenna and Taylor in the middle. So you've got probably Johnny Hayes going up against uh, Tavernier um, at fullback for the visitors. So uh, how, do you, how do you see that one going? I think Johnny Hayes can get a lot of joy out of that one. Um, I think he's had a lot of joy for Celtic in those games. He's had a lot of joy uh, for us before leaving against Tavernier. Um, it's probably one of the, the matchups that he looks forward to the most. His stamina and pace and just overall fitness are a really good counter to the attributes that Tavernier brings to the game. Um, so I agree with you that, that Hayes will almost certainly start further up the field. We may not see him play that far up the field uh in a lot of other games this season but against Rangers is where I would expect to see Hayes do a bit of damage and even if it wasn't to be Hayes at left midfield um, I could imagine Matty Kennedy being quite up for, for that kind of a, a, a matchup on Saturday there's plenty of areas that are going to be interesting so I'm looking forward to seeing how we get on in central midfield if Craig Bryson is fit which it looks like he is having played against Hibs last week then I wonder if he starts and brings some sort of big game um, ability and, and uh, you know that kind of knowledge and experience to a midfield because central midfield is one of the areas that I think Rangers can be got at. Um, I've never been hugely impressed or not impressed to the same extent as certainly some people are by Glenn Camera for them. I think that Steve Davis is only becoming less and less effective as he continues to play there. Um, there's obviously a former Aberdeen player in the midst there, but I don't think particularly highly of him either. So I think that if we can get the central midfield right, then that gives us a really good base to play from on Saturday. We've certainly got the players who can make that impact. It's just whether or not they're they're fit enough and up to speed enough to go in there and put in a performance. I think a lot of the frustration recently, Ben, for Aberdeen fans in these games, and in fact over the past sort of 18 months probably in most games has been a lack of control the fact that we haven't been dominating possession as we probably used to for quite a few seasons we should have a pretty stacked midfield with the likes of McGeoch Fit Bryson Ferguson Ojo you know these are guys that at this level should be able to go out there and match up yeah um, if Aberdeen have all their midfielders fit then we've got an absolute um, bags of riches there. I mean, there's, there's so many options. How how do you squeeze them um, all into that team? I mean, we've not seen a fully fit McGeek yet. We've not really seen a fully fit Ojo, Bryson, obviously. I mean, Lewis Ferguson's just been the one constant there. Um, just thinking about this sort of individual battles across the pitch as well, we could break down this game into 11 individual battles. We don't know who's going to start it right back for Aberdeen, whether it's going to be Logan or Hernandez up against Kent. Cosgrove against whoever is at centre-half for Rangers, fascinating again. And then whoever starts in the right wing for Aberdeen, whether it be Niall McGinn, Hedges, um, and again against Barisic, another fascinating battle. But I mean, it's, it's part of this sort of pre-season culture where we don't know what to expect from teams at all. I mean, at least last year, having watched Aberdeen a few times in pre-season, we probably know how they're going to line up. But... Uh, if you ask me to predict the Aberdeen starting lineup on on Saturday, could not tell you one of them. But do you honestly Maybe think there'll be that many surprises in the in the shape or the uh, the setup? No, no, it'll be the, the typical sort of four three three kind of thing. There's three central midfielders, then a winger either side of 
Cosgrove and then one of those three central midfielders playing closer to Cosgrove, uh, Cosgrove up top. I, I mean, that's how I'd imagine I would even line up. But there's also been this kind of concerted PR drive over the summer led by the chairman. The, the managers kind of chipped into it as well about them wanting more sort of aggression from the team and sort of wanting to play in the front foot. And I mean, whether we see that on Saturday or not remains to be seen. Obviously, a lack of crowd on Saturday. That's going to be the case for the first few months of the season. Um, note that they held back the first Celtic Rangers meeting of the season until uh, later on in the calendar in the vain hope that they can get some crowd there. Um, you know, not that this league is set up for the benefit of two teams, not at all. I'm just wondering, uh, obviously in this situation, the home crowd makes a big difference. That atmosphere makes a big difference. And, you know, you can... Suggest it makes no impact on officials, but frankly, I don't believe you. I think it does definitely have an impact on the officials. So therefore, Martin, without the crowd there, does this favour the away side more? I think it does. I mean, I read um, I read something earlier today where Kevin Clancy, I think it was, officials are well aware of what's at stake this season. Um, now, whether we read that into be, you know, about those two clubs and you know, the battle for you know, do the do the stop the ten or do you get the you no know, whatever. He did admit in the article even that you can be swayed by a home crowd. It does give Rangers a little, it evens it a little bit for them anyway, I think. Gloriously, our home support isn't exactly like the most vociferous and loud, and that hopefully would would have changed with the, you know, the, with the red shed being a thing now, where you know, there'd be more, a bit more of a racket, hopefully no uh, kind of louder support. But um, it probably does give Rangers you know, a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a leveller. You know, it's, it's something that I suppose you just have to kind of contend with. I mean, we've played... You know, we've played games in front of small crowds before. Uh, the, the, obviously, it'll be completely different when no crowd at all. Um, it'll be it'll be weird for the players. I assume you know, that you no. Know, obviously, they played two of the preseason friendly, two of the two of the three preseason friendlies at Pataudry, um to try and probably to try and give them a, give them a bit of a flavour of what it's going to be like. I don't think it really it really makes you know, a huge difference to the players. I think that. You know, they're professionals. Um, they'll have played hundreds and hundreds of bounce games. Some of the older ones will have played these reserve games where you don't play in front of anybody. Um, so I don't think it really would affect the players. The benefits are very, very marginal. I do wonder about the impact on the players because, OK, Martin's suggesting that they'll play bounce games and reserve games, but you don't want this play with the intensity of a bounce game or a reserve game. And, it, you know, you're not going to win unless you play it at the intensity to which it normally gets played at. Yeah, and it's up to both managers. Um, obviously, for us, more interested in what Derek McInnes can do, but it's up to the managers to get that intensity through to the players. Whichever team goes out there with the most intensity and plays the game to the highest and most energetic levels is at an advantage for at least part of the game because the other team's going to have to play catch-up to get their mind into the right frame to to deal with what should, in theory, be a huge game. It's just made to feel less huge by the lack of a crowd. I find myself a bit unsure of what I think about the, the empty stadium. I think that you can very easily easily make an argument that it advantages Rangers. They're not going to have 15, 17,000 Aberdeen fans screaming for 90 minutes. But I think I can also make an argument for it hurting Rangers slightly, um, at least when you compare it to how much it will impact on other teams that come to Pataudry, because we shouldn't forget that, um, regrettably, Rangers get to take a couple of thousand to Pataudry every time they come, and those couple of thousand make a hell of a lot of noise themselves. Um, I'm, I'm fairly confident I could 
dig up a soundbite by some Rangers mouthpiece or other talking about how the away support at Pataudry spurred them on to victory. So, you know, while obviously we've got the numbers at Pataudry, we shouldn't ignore the fact that the opposing fans do contribute to an overall atmosphere, but also contribute to to um, the away team's performance. So with that in mind, maybe Rangers will be hindered a little by not having the the incredibly vociferous support that they can normally enjoy at Pataudry. But then maybe a team like... Um, you know, a mid-table team like St Johnston, who don't typically bring very many fans to us, maybe we'll find that the the lack of atmosphere benefits them a little bit more than it benefits Rangers. I think I could be just trying to be optimistic and and play this in Aberdeen's favour, but I do think that Rangers will miss the crowd on Saturday. Maybe not quite as much as we will, but they will miss the crowd to an extent. I suppose the bottom line, Ben, is that this is so alien, so unlike anything we've experienced before, that we don't have any reference points. We don't know how this is going to pan out. No, I mean, obviously the, the crowd makes such a difference to an Aberdeen Rangers game at because it, it's utterly poisonous and it, it totally fuels what happens in the pitch. But what I think we can't really forget either is that there's no love lost between these two sets of players either. Um, I mean, when, when Rangers came up to Pataudry last year, they were miffed because apparently Aberdeen had changed the pictures to Lewis Ferguson celebrating um, in the tunnels of Pataudry. I mean, it was just a ludicrous thing to come out with. Um, there's been plenty of red card tackles in this game, just players intentionally winding each other up. And this is only in the last 18 months or so, never, never mind the history of the fixture. So, I mean, I think there will be plenty of needle to this game. Um, but, I mean, I think the lack of the home crowd might benefit Rangers. But in terms of needle and... An actual venom to the fixture, I don't think that'll be missing at all. Oh, good, good, good. Um, the other thing that <laughs> the other thing that might be different, uh, or it might not, I, they were due to vote on it. I think they're due to vote on it this week, the SPFL clubs, um, about whether to introduce uh, a ruling to allow five substitutes during league matches. It's going to happen during League Cup matches and I think Scottish Cup matches this season. Obviously, it happened during the restarted leagues as well. Is this a good thing, Martin? Obviously, you're protecting your players. It's going to be a very, very packed schedule this season. Or is it simply another rule which is favouring the big teams? I'm sure there's a lot of people will say, oh, no, it's going to help Celtic, it's going to help Rangers. When we're coming up against Hamilton um, and it's 80 minutes gone and we're, we still haven't unlocked that, that no, unlocked our defence, uh, we're scrambling to try and get a goal, you know, being able, being able to make a force sub and stick on another winger or another forward might not be too bad. It will help us, I'm sure it will help us at some point as well, if it comes through obviously. I'm sure it will help us as well. We may see a little bit more of the more football from some of the younger members of the squad. Obviously we spoke some about some of them last week. Um, some of the guys who were looking to break in to the team. I mean I don't think it's I don't think it's a, a terrible thing. Um it's it wouldn't be one of the things that I would be I'd be you no know, I'd be desperate to get brought in or not, but uh, I mean, it's something that obviously they're trying to they're, try, they're bringing in under the guise of you know protecting the players and comes in. It's something we're going to have to try and try and manage, um, particularly if it ha- happens. You no, know, I mean, going by the history of the game, it's coming on Saturday. You no, know, there's always a red card, so being able to make a substitute um, late in the game when we've used all three subs might not be the worst thing in the world. Guys, I don't want to ruin your night or completely decimate about half of what we've spoken about in this podcast, but the Sun are just broken a story that Sam Cosgrove is facing four months on the sidelines with a knee injury. Yeah, I've just seen that as well. 
Well, there you go. Martin actually said something on the podcast which is right. Uh, so, <laughs> he obviously was on crutches earlier on. So, um, we did speak about Cosgrove. This now um, moves on to be a discussion about, obviously, Bruce Anderson. He's done well in pre-season, but is he able to lead that line by himself? Because Curtis Main himself is just back from surgery. Um, I think he is back training, but whether he's had any, I don't think he's had any game time. So you're down to Bruce Anderson, basically, um, aren't you? Um, and that one's for John. Yeah, um, I think that Bruce Anderson is more than capable of playing against Rangers, playing well and scoring. We've seen him do it, but I think that the the bigger concern isn't about his ability; it's about what happens to the shape of the team and and what what eleven we actually put out there now. Because I don't think that Bruce Anderson is the best man in the squad to lead the the four three three that Ben was talking about earlier, which is how we all expected Aberdeen to, to set up on Saturday. Um so does that mean a change in formation, a change in style? Well I'm not sure who else we've got who can go up front alongside Anderson. Uh I don't know. It's a real spanner in the works, that's for sure, because the one constant on Saturday was going to be, in my mind anyway, Cosgrove up front and two wingers to support him. And that's all out the window now. Ash Taylor up top Ben. <laughs> oh, well, I, I mean, I'd be surprised if Curtis Main doesn't start, to be honest. Um, usually I like to come prepared with notes for these kind of podcasts, but <laughs> not in this case. I, I, I would imagine it would be Curtis Main who starts at the, at the weekend. Yeah, I don't know if he got any, has had any game time during the warm-up well, matches. It could well be Bruce Anderson, but um, I mean, but look, he's scored against Rangers before. Um, he's proved to be an absolute nuisance. He, he's done it regularly for the reserves. And to be honest, this is probably the season that he needs to break into the Aberdeen team. Um, he, he showed it in fleeting glimpses before. And I mean, what an opportunity it would be for a lad to start the first game of the season against Rangers and, and sort of make his mark. Well, there you go. Breaking news, uh, as we've been on here, that San Cosgrove faces up to four months out with a knee injury. If Bruce Anderson does start, let's hope Connor Goldson's uh, breakdancing is just as good as it was before. Um, ben, presumably you're going to be in a socially distanced press box on Saturday. What's the sort of guidance that you've had out from the club, <laughs> from the league on this one? Well, well, this is when I tell you that after bumming up the Aberdeen v Rangers fixture for the last 40 minutes that I'm not actually going to be there. <laughs> uh, the, the press numbers, certainly the non-rights non holders, is incredibly written, um, um, limited sorry, for the written press. And it'll, it'll be my far superior colleague, Michael Grant, who does it for the Times this weekend. And I, uh, for my sins, I'm going to, I think I'm going to Tanadice for Dundee United v St Johnston, but again, because of this um, really limited numbers on the amount of press getting into games, that's not actually been guaranteed yet. Um, it'll be socially distanced, it'll be just us scattered, as far as I'm aware, across the main stand, um, and it'll be wearing face masks and stuff. I mean, I think even in terms of your post-match interviews, um, it's going to be bizarre. I don't know if there's an exact formula for this yet. I mean, it, clubs are speaking about doing a Zoom conference after games, but I mean, I, I don't think that would work. With too, it would be too many people trying to speak at once inside the same area. Um, the, there's another idea that maybe one member of the press goes down to represent us all. Um, 
which again is a difficult way to work about because different people have different questions and, and it, it's unpredictable sometimes what kind of answers you're going to get. So I mean, we're going into something blind here. I think Rangers and Celtic have allowed reporters into pre-season games so far and it seems to have worked. Um, and obviously there was journalists out in France with Celtic. But I think in Petardry, it's I mean, it's the, this is a whole thing across the entire league is it's incredibly strict on who's actually getting in. It's almost quite Orwellian where we're just hand-picking which journalists actually get in here. But, uh, I mean, either way, it'll be very, very strange covering a game of football. Uh, yeah, Orwellian. Um, I, I did see that Rangers had uh, had quite a few um, reporters in uh, to, yeah. to their friendly matches. Had had some um, club bloggers in as well, which I find quite interesting. Uh, a club will ban... Um, I'll ban the BBC and the likes of Graham Spears, but I'll, I'll let uh, four lads had a dream come and watch the games as press. Interesting. Um, maybe we will put that call into Mal um, uh, Martin and see if we can get in. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I had an Aberdeen fan DM me earlier on asking if the Times were taking anybody on. But I, had to, I had to apologise and say, well, bloody hell, I can't even get myself in, I don't think. <laughs> We've spoken about what the press are going to do. John, Martin, how are you going to generate the appropriate amount of hatred that this fixture deserves uh, remotely? I'm simply going to rely on Twitter.com. About five years ago, I made the the fatal mistake of befriending a small number of Rangers fans when I could get real kicks out of laughing at them when they were in the doldrums. Um, what started out as sport for me turned into antagonistic friendships so all I need to do is refer to the tweets of a small handful of friends of mine um, which will get me into a peak of rage uh, faster than you can say Rangers died I think the thing that people are going to find out over the course of this, uh, the early part of this season maybe not the games which are on Sky but they're going to get very, very annoyed at the delay on the streaming coverage as, um, you know, we and other Twitter feeds are going to be a good 60 seconds ahead of what they're watching on Red TV. Um, that's been a case for, obviously, a lot of the international viewers and, who knows, maybe some people in the UK on dodgy streams. Not that we'd ever advocate that, John. Um, but, yeah, people are going to get very frustrated at that very quickly. Um, so... Obviously, for the first two games, they're on Sky, so you know you will have the opportunity to see them more as live, but you will have to suffer Andy Walker. So you know, um, it's um, maybe you want to go with maybe you want to go with Rob McLean instead. Uh, Martin, um, yeah, watching at home, going to a pub, plans. Uh, well, I, I mean, I've been I've been quite disappointed this week, and, and among all the kind of Morelos chat and all that, no, um, we haven't seen many of the you no know, shame game and game of hate articles. And I do enjoy them. Uh, but I think I'm, I'm supposed to be actually watching it at your brother's house, Richard. Um, and he is always disgusted at the bile that I managed to manage to spout um, during an Aberdeen Rangers game. So um, I'm looking forward to irritating him. Um, and then, I, I, I like like John, I will be taking to Twitter to, to, to make an absolute show of myself as well. Given he grew up in the same household as me, he really shouldn't be surprised that uh, levels of bile and invective uh, around those games <laughs> should be pretty you'd, used you'd be to it. You'd be surprised how much I'm capable of disgusting him. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so that, that's we've, we've spoken for the first time in months about uh, matters on the field, and it feels good, but we, we do have to talk about some of the other off-field stuff. Um, financial update from the chairman, um, 20% average not a 20% across the board, but average weight cuts for those earning more than £30,000 from what's been made public. It seems that we've 
managed to avoid making people redundant where other clubs have. At least that hasn't come out yet if we have. So I, I think that's a positive thing. I think that that should be applauded, that people have been prepared to make that sacrifice in order to to um, save some of the staff members. I think that's a very good thing. On the season ticket sales front, Martin, slight cynicism there. Um, when sales were around about 7,000 level, we were told that 7,500 was going to be the capacity figure for a socially distanced return to football. Um, now, conveniently, it's become 9,000 when we've gone through that 7,500 barrier. Even if we get to the point where you know, people are allowed to and come back to games, um, you know, the, the first few weeks, I don't think you'll be anywhere near um, 7,000 people getting at the stadium anyway. But that's no, that's just me kind of having sat with a piece of paper and the amount of seats in Pataudry and kind of looked at it and, you know, just kind of trying to like work out some kind of like fag packet distance. And I, I don't want to say it seems disingenuous because he's obviously just like, no, now they've got the number 9,000. People want, people want to get to games, so their demand is going to be there now. Um, you know, I've seen you know, the tickets, the season tickets over the past sort of 10 days have taken quite a quite a dramatic jump um, in sales, and that's great, you know. Which you know, you, you seem to always do in the last week before the season starts. And you know, people are here knowing know that they won't get into the stadium anytime soon. You know, there is obviously hope that um, at some point in October, Scottish football will be back in stadiums, or that's the hope. Like you mentioned earlier on, for a certain Silicon Rangers game, anyway. So it is it is cynical, um, but I guess that. You know, at the moment, the club are desperately trying to rustle up funds. This is possible. This is, season tickets is one of the best ways of doing it. Um, obviously, there's going to be n- none of the kind of none of the other methods of income. There'll be no corporate or anything like that. So, Cormac, you as, as said before, about you no know, making making a creating a fear of missing out. Um, and obviously, the, the top deck of the Dick Donald was meant to be closed uh, this season. I mean, if we're going to be socially distancing, assume that's going to have to reopen as well to get. To get nine thousand or seven and a half thousand people in, um, but I'm just, I just it is, I'm a little bit cynical about it. I mean, I don't think, personally, I don't think we'll be seeing in football in stadiums anytime soon. I desperately hope I'm wrong, and um, I desperately hope we can get back, you know, you know, b- before October. But as it stands, um, you know, people have bought, we've bought our season tickets, or people have bought their season tickets, um, in good faith, really, that you know we'll be seeing some football soon. Um, I just think that could I like throwing about numbers of how you know we can get some people in then and not then. I just I don't know I don't know where it comes from. I mean, if we're back at football in t- in time for five days before Christmas to see us lift the Scottish Cup, then I'll be happy with that. Yeah. Um. The oh, I can't remember what I was going to say. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the show of faith by. Uh, by fans shouldn't be underestimated, should it, Ben? Because, you know, given all the uncertainty, given all the restrictions, to be at a point right now where, I don't know what, we're at 85, 90% of last season's number, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it's been a difficult financial period for everybody. Clubs, supporters, sorry, actually parting with our money um, to buy season tickets to support our club is absolutely brilliant. I mean, this is, in terms of optics for clubs, I mean, this entire pandemic has been an absolute minefield. Um, I mean, even a club as slick as Liverpool got it horribly wrong by putting staff in furlough. I mean, they were absolutely shot down. You look at Hibernian, who have been cutting wages um, and selling season tickets, but at the same time spending six figures on players. I mean, in terms of 
getting the optics right. I think Aberdeen have got fairly spot on. Um, I mean, only taking in one player and, and Johnny Hayes and kind of saying that he was only it was only possible to sign him because Greg Lee went out. I, I, I don't think they can be accused of sort of burning the supporters' cash. I think I think they're um, being quite sort of careful with it and how they spend it. I, w- I would say. A very tricky one for the club, though, uh, John, will be regarding setting the price of um, pay-per-view streaming for individual matches. Uh, because on the one hand, you've got season, some of the season ticket holders who will be, no doubt, quite annoyed if uh, you end up being able to watch individual matches at much cheaper than the season ticket works out as. On the other hand, you'll have a lot of season ticket holders who are going to be like, fine, I made the contribution to the club, I see it as that, as a contribution or a membership or whatever, set a price that's going to maximise the income to the club. So it's a difficult one for the club to get right, for any club to get right. Yeah, I can talk about this from from a personal standpoint in that um, I would totally appreciate and understand if if season ticket holders didn't want to release pay-per-view seats as they were to the the general fan base. But I'm financially not in a position where I can justify spending 400-ish pounds on a, a season ticket to watch games on the internet, knowing that I probably won't make it up to Pataudry that regularly uh, with a, a newborn coming soon. So um, I personally would be delighted if there's a way that I can support the club financially and watch the games from home on the internet while also not making the expenditure of a season ticket. And that's with all the respects in the world for the people who are financially in a position or have put themselves in the position where they've bought a season ticket regardless regardless of finances. So I have sympathy for, for everyone in the conversation, really. If I was a season ticket holder, if I had made that commitment, I would want to feel like my commitment was being honoured and respected in some way, but also I'm not in that position. What am I meant to do? I want to be able to, to watch the teams, to watch the games and, and support the team in whatever way I can. It's a question that's really difficult to answer. It's a situation that is hopefully a total one-off and, and totally unique, not something that any football club finds themselves in again. Um, and I, I suppose we're also yet to see what the streaming infrastructure looks like and how well that can operate when you're getting 9,000 season ticket holders plus however many uh, inverted commas walk-up sales the club gets. There are all sorts of question marks. Um, the, the, whatever answer the club takes has to be in the club's best interests. And if that, you know, unfortunately that may end up disenfranchising some people like me who who, who just simply don't have the money or um, upsetting season ticket holders who feel they should be rewarded for, for their financial commitments. I simply don't know the answer. Now, something I found interesting last week in that Cormac interview as well, and I, I don't know if it was widely picked up or, excuse my ignorance if it was, but he says that we're planning on installing sort of massive televisions at Petaldry. Obviously, we've, we've invested quite a bit in the Red TV and want supporters to sort of get the benefit of the Red TV sort of match day broadcast within the stadium, whether that be sort of pre-match at half-time or whatever. Uh, I thought that was quite interesting, to be honest. Yeah, that's certainly something Rob Wicks has, has said in a few of his interviews as well. Um, I don't think it's in place yet, but certainly it was something they yeah. were planning to do. Um, but Ben, this issue of how to how to price these pay-per-view streams, or whether indeed to offer them at all, has, has affected not just Aberdeen. You've got Hibs, who have decided for this weekend's game against Kilmarnock, there simply won't be any pay-per-view uh, stream. 
I, I mean, I, I, I completely understand the Hibs' point of view and we need to protect the value for our season ticket holders. But I think for the opening weekend of the season, I think it's desperately unfair if you're a Kilmarnock fan that you can't watch your team in their first competitive game and, and however long it is. I think that's quite poor. Um, but, I mean, in terms of pricing the pay-per-view games, it's difficult because, I mean, how often are people just going to get together and watch a game? And, I mean, when you put it in that context, I mean, the 20 quid... When you look at 20 quid to watch Livingston at home on a pay-per-view basis, it looks like a complete and utter rip-off. I mean, that's almost the price of a boxing match. But at the same time, if there's four or five years get together in a, in a flat to watch it and have a few beers, it's not bad value for money, actually. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's very, very difficult for clubs to get these things right. And, of course, we have to protect the value um, of these broadcasts for season ticket holders. Um but I think somewhere in the middle between the twelve and the twenty pound mark, um, which is kind of kind of been revealed by clubs at the moment, probably wouldn't wouldn't be unfair for Aberdeen supporters. And Martin, as well as the uh, the, the whole issue with season tickets, um, you've got to you've got the age old question really of um, making it affordable enough that people are going to want to pay rather than hunt out a sort of dodgy free stream. Yeah, that's a, that's the thing. I mean, they've obviously they've tr- they've tried to kind of they're going to be up in the quality of the product. You know, they're bringing in um, Rob McLean. Um, no, on on these dodgy streams, you no, know, you tend to do you no. Know, not that I've ever watched one, but I, I've I've been told um, I've been told on these dodgy streams, you kind of you don't get very you don't get much of the much of the pre and post match um, quality. Um, so yeah, they brought in guys like Rob McLean. I think they've said that um, for on Saturday, I think it is um, they're going to have. Graham Shinney and the Russell Anderson are going to be on as kind of analysts or guests or something as well. So they're they're trying to kind of they're trying to do something to make it make it a bit more worthwhile, make it more professional. I mean, it'll certainly be more entertaining than listening to, like you said, Andy Walker and Chris Boyd or whoever Ali McCoyster, whoever is going to be on. Uh, so the, the the club are obviously try they're trying something here. It is it is just going to come it's going to come down to the price, and that's the issue there. And I think that um, that's the sort of thing where, like Ben says, there, you know, it's. It's going to end up being, I think, a lot of folk are just going to maybe like a few beers run run at somebody's flat or something like that, uh, which you know most of us kind of go to the games and you, know, you meet up with meet up with some guys, or you maybe have a pint a pint in the pub as well. So I think that's what's probably going to happen. I don't think you're going to get a lot of people, particularly in the pay per view um, option, you know, spending maybe twenty quid to sit and watch Aberdeen versus Hamilton or something. I think it'll probably be people will kind of pool their resources. And have a few beers, but um, you, yeah, the quality's got to be there, and the club, no, I've got, club have got to be given credit for trying. Um, I think if it was just the state, same old kind of the red TV pr- presentation of of last the last season, um, it'd be dead in the water, and nobody would be interested. Um, so, and really, is fair play to them for having you no know, Rob McLean and having obviously Derek Ray on as well, who is you know, probably the best commentator in football at the moment. Um, so it's it's brilliant that they've done that. The other thing which is impacting the wider league as well, uh, if we're going to have a discussion about, it, is um, I've seen quite a few articles this last week saying that well, obviously with the English league's not starting for a while now, couple uh, at least a month, there's a window of opportunity for the SBFL to gain viewers down south because it'll be unopposed basically. Sky, it'll be a free run on Sky for the next four or five weeks in terms of competitive football that... Uh, that viewers might have an interest in down south, but um, John, I, I I don't buy it. I just don't buy it. I know we were all supporting Bundesliga teams for two weeks back in March, but that was you know that faded away very quickly. 
yeah, I think that Sky will try some marketing tricks that will make me feel a bit sick in the back of my throat. It's going to be essentially the Steven Gerrard show for the next five weeks on Sky. Um, that would be my guess. They are going to play up to the fact that he's such a big name and that it's such an important season for Rangers. And I think I'll be surprised if any other team in the league gets a look in. And I even, to an extent, include Celtic in that because I don't think they're as big a draw down south uh, as, as Rangers will be Whether it has any impact I'm as sceptical as you um, I think that Scottish games have been available For people in England to watch For decades and decades and decades And they simply don't do it In any significant numbers The fact that there aren't games Competing with us at the moment Isn't going to have that big of an impact If you look at Twitter If you look at English football fans on Twitter They were largely dismissive of the German games Or at least in my experience The fans that I follow Were largely dismissive of of watching German games The football just simply doesn't seem to matter as much When it's not your team And I can sympathise with that I didn't enjoy watching the the German games To any huge extent And I didn't watch a great deal of of English football either So I think it's going to be a very hard sell for Sky To to get English fans in, in any great numbers and I think the way they'll try and do it is a way that sticks in my throat a wee bit. The only other way I could see them trying to market it is as simply saying, well, look, what else is there for you to watch? Why don't you watch this? And that'll just come across as patronising. So I'm not sure how you sell it to English fans without either picking up parts of the game that have no appeal to me um, or by, by being a bit condescending or looking down your nose at Scottish football. I suppose ultimately, if... Sky succeeds and they do manage to market the game really well even if they do it in ways that I personally would find a bit iffy we would probably see some benefit out of that so I suppose it is in Aberdeen's interest and Scottish football as a whole's interest to to get the viewing figures up as high as possible just to to make us look like a saleable asset to to broadcasters but I am a bit wary of how we're going to go about doing that. There's a defensiveness isn't there uh... Ben about your average Scottish football fan when it comes to our game being sort of disregarded elsewhere and I tend to find that the media that covers our game best and does best it is one that doesn't is are the ones which don't really try and appeal to outsiders if you know what I mean there's, yeah. a, there's some podcasts out there for Scottish football which are produced by English companies who have very good guys on them but they seem like they're being made for people that don't really watch and live the game week in, week out, whereas there's other ones, obviously, which are very successful, who accept that there's a great deal of knowledge, passion and love for the game up here and just feed off that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think it would be incredibly lazy to market the game on Steven Gerrard down south. Um, he's been up here for two years now, that ship sailed. If you, if you were going to push that, you would do it two years ago. Um, I think we're going to see a real push from Sky in the next couple of days um, ahead of Saturday. I mean, we were doing the put-up for broadcasters or pundits for interview today and again tomorrow. Um, so that'll be the papers. That's to drum up interest. When I was watching Sky earlier on today in terms of um, flagging up the Scottish games, very short clip just with Bourne Slippy Underworld in the background, which I thought could have been expanded on. Because, I mean... People up here loved BT Sport because it was passionate and we cared about the game. And I think I think we just want a bit of love shown by Sky towards it. And I mean, Sky have got the time to do that now. With no Premier League, which is their bread and butter and is where they make their money. Um, we've got a bit of time here to put a bit of effort into Scottish football. And, but I mean, whether that has any benefits in the long run, 
uh, I think would be very, very, very difficult to do, to be honest. But John, I guess in a way, John, we get we get the sports media we deserve. You know, we get the sort of Grados commenting on <laughs> getting football shows and so on. We get the sports media we deserve. Um, it doesn't really seem to be beyond a very small subset um, that desire for a more in-depth, more informed coverage. We get what we deserve, basically, or we get what we want, more or less. Yeah, I think that there have been various bits and pieces from Sky and BT that have tried. Um, I never quite got behind the, the loving for BT's coverage. I thought it was better than Sky's, but I didn't think that was really saying much. It was kind of just... I, I don't know, it was... It was just kind of meandering and not really very thoughtful coverage at times. Um, what I would really like to see is coverage that covers all 12 teams as equally as possible. I understand that Rangers and Celtic are the biggest teams in the league. I understand they're going to get more coverage. Where I have, where I take umbrage is when they get all of the coverage. And that's my, that's my fear with Sky. Perhaps BT were a bit better in that respect, but they still weren't perfect. Um, but then you're quite right to say that we get the coverage we deserve. Um, I, I'm completely ignorant myself of what, for example, Hamilton have been doing in the off season, what St. Johnson have been doing in the off season. I simply don't really know the answer to that. And the information's out there if I choose to go and look for it. I don't have to rely on, on Sky to, to tell me if Hamilton have signed anyone or if St. Johnston have sold anyone. The information's there. I just choose not to go looking for it a lot of the time. So you're quite right in that um, maybe we just kind of get the kind of level of coverage that that our enthusiasm for the game looks for I'm not sure I, I do think that's fair as well because I mean pa- papers aren't bought as widely as they used to but if you, sit, if you read a tabloid newspaper in Scotland now the back page is almost always going to be dominated by Rangers or Celtic but if you actually sit and read it and there's, there usually is a good three four pages of coverage on every team and on the lower leagues but I mean it's difficult to produce these things because this would be a far too complex and intricate debate. Is that people people want things for free as well now? I mean, and that makes it very very difficult for the media to to cover everything as in depth. I suppose. Yeah, and I suppose that's what I was trying to lead to earlier. That there's been some attempts independently yeah. in the most uh, most part to um, to sort of create that more in depth. Coverage and they've not really succeeded to the point of making them financially viable. I don't think, I don't, yeah. you know, almost a sort of no. hobbyist thing. There's loads and loads of Scottish football podcasts out there with lots of love and the thought put into them. But I mean, whether they're profitable or not, and that's a difficult thing. And I think that's a thing that we take it to the next step. And even tonight, I saw a new independent media Scotland thing um, starting up um, on Twitter. Uh, absolutely no. Um, information on it at all but I mean it'll be interesting to see, see how they get on it, it's got to it's come from the band public but there's this love of the narrative in Scottish football isn't there Ben when it, when it comes to reporting yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> there, I mean, the thing is about Scottish football. I mean, it might not be the best quality <laughs> on the pitch, but um, it's the best rouse in the world, kind of thing. Um, there is narrative, and I mean, there is a bit of playground sort of politics between managers and the build-up to games. Now, well, he said this. What are you going to say back to him? He said that. Now it's your turn to respond. Um, but I mean, that, that's just bread and butter for newspapers. I think people there's a, there is a niche market for. Sort of analytics and in-depth kind of stuff, but whether it's profitable and widespread enough, I, I, I don't know. 
Okay, uh, I'm sure Ben would like us to point out that the, the best coverage will be in whatever newspaper his byline will be in uh, come Monday morning. Um, so uh, thank you very much for joining us today, Ben. Enjoy Tanadice if it's going to be Tanadice at the weekend. Yes, yes, I hope so. I mean, I wouldn't fancy being an Aberdeen City Centre on Saturday if, it, if it's full of Rangers and Aberdeen fans boozed up watching the games in pubs, but I'll, uh, I'll take uh, Hayden and Tanadice for an afternoon. <laughs> Thank you very much to John Sinclair. John, thanks. Yep, that was great. Thank you very much. I'm slightly disappointed we didn't get around to talking about Shay Logan's new plumbing firm, which seemed to have opened today to much fanfare on Twitter, but perhaps we're saving that for a, a later episode all on its own. I could uh, politely request to be involved in that one, perhaps. <laughs> It's just a good, honest lad making sure his future is sorted. They can't, they can't all sort themselves for life from their football career. Um, anyway, um, thank you, John, uh, and thank you for that plug for Logan to Wilson. Uh, and um, to Martin Cleaners. Martin, thank you. Thank you very much, Richard. OK, let's take a few diversions, uh, some of them football-based. Uh, obviously, the breaking news about Sam Cosgrove uh, spending the first round of games of the season on crutches is uh, not what we wanted to hear when we started this podcast. But here's hoping that uh, whoever plays on Saturday can bring three points home for the Dons. Come on, you Reds! <laughs> <laughs>